Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. For me, it was the right fit against the New York Giants. Like, this is, this is the New York Giants. If you don't like it, then you're welcome to leave. But that's the way that we do things around here. Man, I'm so blessed. It's crazy. I've been manifesting New York. I kind of had a feeling it was going to be New York, but now that we're here, man, God is good. Once a giant, always a giant. For me, it's only a giant. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of All In with Art Stapleton, a New York Giants podcast, part of the USA Today Network. I'm your host, Art Stapleton, and we are five weeks into the NFL season. And stunningly, the New York Giants of Brian Dable and Joe Shane are 4-1. and one. I'm not sure Joe Shane and Brian Dable would have predicted 4-1 and one after five weeks, but here we are heading into a return home at MetLife Stadium on Sunday against the Baltimore Ravens. And all you're going to hear about between now and then, and even at, after that, Wink Martindale, defensive coordinator for the Giants, gets to go against his old team. Lamar Jackson and Wink Martindale had battles in practice, according to players down in Baltimore. And then players up here have talked about what Wink has meant to them and the defensive resurgence. We saw that against Aaron Rodgers in London. And we will see what Wink can cook up against Lamar and the Ravens offensively. Uh, should be a fun one, and suddenly the Giants are in a prime spot for a playoff berth. Now it's only October, so let's pump the brakes. The Philadelphia Eagles and the Dallas Cowboys are still in charge of the NFC East. They meet Sunday night, so one of those two teams will have the same record as the Giants on Monday morning. And there's a lot of football to be played. We'll get into it. Today's Giants interview, Daniel Bellinger, rookie tight end, joined me after practice on Wednesday. He's really become an integral part of this offense, even if the statistics as a receiver don't show it. He was involved in one of the more creative plays, not the Philly special, uh, called Bellinger Pass, which that speaks to how the Giants are not looking to be anything fancy. And he ends up running it in on a double reverse for a touchdown in Green Bay against Green Bay in London that got the Giants going. And then, we'll, of course, we'll close the show with the final drive. Your questions, I will answer as many as I can sent to me via Twitter. Hashtag all in art. So without further ado, let's get to Daniel Bellinger. And I think you'll enjoy the 10 minutes or so that we got to spend after practice on Wednesday. All right, joining me now, rookie tight end of the New York Giants, Daniel Bellinger. And five games in, four wins. Do I still get to call you a rookie, or have you gone through enough yet for this NFL season that you've progressed beyond that rookie label? Uh, it's, it's only been five games, so I think, I think I still got a lot more growing to do. So rookie's still, still there. 
So you guys go go to London. Obviously, I was there. You, you pick up a huge win. Uh, and then come back and now immediately start focusing on the Baltimore Ravens. Take me back a little bit to Sunday. What was that atmosphere like? Everything you thought of going in and then to step inside that stadium, what was it like? What did you take away from it? Yeah, I mean, I thought it was an amazing experience. You know, I thought the people were were great. You know, everywhere we went, they were super cool. And uh, food was great, you know, before the game. And then coming into Sunday, the experience of the actual stadium was, was awesome. Uh, you know, it felt like an indoor stadium with how it was set up and, uh, you know, just the electricity of the, the whole place was, was pretty cool. You kind of convinced yourself that you were you were in Lambeau Field a little bit with all those go pack. A little bit. Hits. It felt like it, yeah. It felt like uh, we were the only – it was just us in the locker room and with all the, the Packers fans out there, it felt like it was just us. Uh, we were talking to Brian Dable earlier today, and he was talking about the trust that you've earned from your teammates and your coaches. Uh, I remember talking to you back in the spring and the idea of what your goals were, and it seemed like they threw you in the deep end and said, all right, swim. Mm. How did you go about earning the trust of the coaches specifically, but also the, the teammates around you? Uh, yeah, first and foremost, that's that was the biggest thing, right, was just earn the trust. And, you know, coming into the locker room, that's what any young player wants to do is just have the older guys be like, okay, this guy can help us. You know, he's a young guy, but he can help us. So that's that's what I wanted to do first, um, you know, just kind of build those relationships with guys like Daniel Jones and Saquon and uh, the older guys like uh, Chris Myrick in the tight end room and kind of just build those relationships. Um, then after doing that, I uh, kind of built a little confidence to start building the trust with the coaches and uh, start doing what I needed to do, like fundamentally wise and uh, just knowing what to do so the coaches could at least put me in there so I know what to do and then go on from there. You know, Dave said that, you know, he coached tight ends. One of the positions that he coached back when he was in New England, I think it was for four years he coached tight end mm-hmm. and really when Gronk hit his stride. Uh, and he said, so he's more demanding on the tight ends than maybe uh, other positions uh, you know, I'm not sure about that, but he said he's been on you from the very beginning. What was that dynamic like for you, a first-year head coach, you're getting to know Dave's, and, and he's really, really on you about about knowing all the nuances of that position? Yeah, uh, I mean, I knew coming in that he had a lot of experience with tight ends, uh, so I was excited about it. Um, and, you know, just what I learned growing up just through football is uh, that you want a coach to yell at you, you want a coach to be on you. It's when they're not on you that you should start worrying um, so when he was on me, you know, I didn't take it personal. You know, I just knew that he was trying to make me better uh, to then help make the team better. Uh, so when he was on me a lot, you know, I just I took to it. I took to his coaching um, and any step of the way, just grow and learn from, from what he's telling me. What are some of the things that he was on you about then that you were able to ultimately get praise about now? Uh, just like, first and foremost, just knowing what to do, uh, you know, just messing <laughs> Sounds up simple, plays. right? Yeah. <laughs> just messing up the plays at first and, you know, um, him out there calling me numb nuts to make sure I get it right. And, uh, you know, it's, it's just making sure I know what to do first. And then it came to the fundamentals part of it and small things that I didn't even realize uh, I did um, that he showed me uh, going through it. I wanted to ask you about you, know, you talked when we talked to you in the spring, the the nuances of blocking that some guys think. You know, you just, okay, you're a tough guy, go block. But that there's a lot more to blocking and different schemes than you would even imagine. And I would mm-hmm. imagine you've, you've learned that at this level. Talk to me about that a little bit. How do you go about learning that it's not just about 
a hat on a hat and right. knowing what you're doing and where you're supposed to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I mean, you got to know the scheme of it, right? You got to know where the, the running back, where his landmark is and, and how he's lining up and uh, just knowing the calls, the communication with the O-line as, as well. Uh, some things that I, I knew coming into it from college, but not to the extent um, in which we need to now. And uh, first, I kind of started learning that um, at the tight end U um, yep. in the summer, you know, learning it from the older guys and then here learning it from uh, Chris Myrick and Coach Bish did a great job of really explaining it, explaining those kind of techniques and how the whole play works instead of just my individual assignment in the blocking game. You mentioned you mentioned tight end you, so let me ask you about that real quick. I remember we talked to you before you went, and you had said, you, you know, you had watched film of guys and you loved watching Kittle as a blocker. Mm-hmm. When you got down there, did you specifically go after a couple of those guys and try to pick their brains? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Especially when we got to the blocking part of it, I uh, went straight over to Kittle's group and uh, watched him, how he explains, like, you got to find the mic, the Sam, the safety first uh, to even know what to do, you know. And I didn't even realize that in, co- in uh, college and high school, you know, just knowing where to go and the mic point and all that stuff first and foremost and then watching how he did it and the small things he did with whether it was his first step or his second step or, you know, how he reads the play and just kind of just picking his brain off that. Some guys go into that setting and say, man, I know a lot of stuff. Now I'm going to all of a sudden blow up. You seem to be the kind of guy who sees all of this and kind of looks around and goes, I got a lot to learn oh, here yeah. and get to it. Is that fair? Yeah, oh, that's definitely fair. You know, I, I see it all, and it's like, it's like I kind of knew about it before, but now I've actually seen it and learning it from guys like that. It's like, all right, now I, I can see what it takes. Now I just got to take step by step to get there. Now let's get to one of the one of the plays that define the biggest win of the season on Sunday. You know, at the goal line, there you guys are. Uh, and take me inside the huddle. You guys obviously have practiced that play, mm-hmm. uh, but first and foremost, the idea that Daves and Mike Kafka would put a trust in a rookie to put the ball in your hands in that scenario. Is that a statement about how much you've, how far you've come in, in such a short time? Um, I don't want to say it's a statement. I just think that um, I'm glad that they have that trust in me and I want to keep growing that trust with them. Um, but, I mean, if you look at the whole play, it wasn't just me who made the play. You know, it was a lot of good blocks on the, on the perimeter with Tanner and Sills and, you know, DJ making a good pitch, Saquon making a good pitch. And uh, it took all of us to make the play happen. Um, but I just think that I want to keep growing that trust with the coaches so they can keep putting me in that position. So I heard you had a little history of playing quarterback in high school. Is that right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I played, uh, I played all the way up until my sophomore year of high school. I played quarterback. Do you think uh, that's part of it that maybe a defense in that situation, they may know now, but isn't anticipating – the tight end coming around on the double reverse, being willing to yeah, to no, throw. I think I think it was just a good play design, uh, play call, and uh, you know I just I think they were surprised by it and it worked. Now I asked you in the locker room, uh, you know, and then I went back and watched the all 2022. 20, you had Tanner, oh, I mean Tanner, yeah. Oh, yeah. Tanner released. I mean you had it there. So uh-huh. how close were you to to testing the arm? Or, yeah, or? I mean it was designed. Um, for him, it wasn't designed for him to slip out, but he kind of slipped out, and I saw him in the corner of my eye, and I thought about it. But I also had a uh, Dave's and all the coaching in the back of my head saying, if I, if I need to run it, just run it. Um, so I was like, I'm gonna just put my head down and try to get in the end zone. What's the uh, feeling, the emotion when you cross the goal line? Oh, amazing! You know, it's just like. I'm, first and foremost, I'm glad I made the right decision, you know, just not, not turning the ball over, not taking a risk. Um, 
but also knew it was a big turning point in the game. Uh, you know, we needed points and we needed to get some energy uh, on our sideline to, to get out there and uh, get the win. So Daniel was covered. Did you give it, give him anything on the sideline saying, <laughs> uh, got to get we, open more? We, Come on. <laughs> when we practiced it, uh, I always told him that I'm going to just throw it up to him when he's got to make a play. But uh, we get to this situation and I was like, look, I just had to put my head down on that one. How crazy is it down the stretch of that game? I mean, you guys drive down the field. Uh, with Saquon essentially in the locker room and in the medical tent, mm-hmm. you tied the game, and then that game-winning drive that you guys go down. I mean, you're out there. I know you guys are focused in the moment. When did it hit you of what you guys were able to accomplish once the game ends? Um, I mean, it didn't really hit me until we got back and we started watching the film and we realized that we didn't punt um, until we got all the way to the end of the game where we had to get the, the safety. Um, but we just realized that we got to keep growing like that and, you know, just taking steps. And it's, it's a step for us as an offense, um, especially with guys stepping up. Um, but still a lot of stuff to clean up. And as long as we keep taking those steps, we'll be all right. Dave's told us, I mean, I remember you talking about the, the draft process. You weren't really sure. You knew they liked you. Mm-hmm. I think we said Brandon Brown was out there. Mm-hmm. You guys were on a rooftop, right, at yeah, one point yeah, having dinner. San Diego, yeah. uh, you know, he said today that – Brandon Brown, who's obviously the assistant general manager, and Tim McDonald, who's the director of uh, player personnel, were really high on you to the point where Dave said they were pounding the table for you mm. at some point in the draft. I'm pretty sure you didn't hear any of that during it. But once you got here, do, do you kind of get a feeling when you're here that, wow, these guys like me a lot more than maybe I anticipated through the entire process? <laughs> I mean, at first, uh, when, I, when I got here and uh, I was going through it with – learning the playbook and, and Dave's yelling at me and getting on me, um, I knew that they just wanted to see me grow and they wanted to, to see me become a good player to help the team. And I still have a lot more to go. Um, but it was just it was just nice to know that these coaches want me to get better instead of just, like I said, maybe just ignoring me and, and not saying anything. And that's when, as a player, you worry. Um, but just having them want me to get better is, uh, is something that builds my confidence to keep growing. All right, let's have a little fun. Uh, today, you guys had a visitor, former heavyweight champ Deontay Wilder. Yeah. Uh, he walks out. What's your first instinct? Did you know who it was, or what are you thinking? A new, new tight end, new defense? <laughs> I end? saw him, and uh, he's, he's definitely a lot taller and bigger than I thought he was. And, you know, a lot of guys in the locker room just joking around, seeing if we could actually fight against him or box against him. And I'm like, first glance at him, I'm like, there's no way. There's no way. That guy's <laughs> probably knocking 99% of us out. Well, that, that was going to be my fun question. <laughs> yeah. You got the, the run of the locker room. If you had to put your contract up against, you know, Something that he puts. Who's the one guy that you give uh, a shot? I might say Leo. Uh, Leo or Dex, you know, just two of the biggest dudes in the locker room. And, you know, those are some, some feisty dudes, aggressive dudes. So they might be able to hold their, hold their weight. But a lot, of, a lot of us, probably not. <laughs> well, when, uh, when we started doing these fun questions at the end of the podcast, we came up with now a new one that we're doing. It, is that if it was a zombie apocalypse. Now, mm. I don't know if you're into all that stuff, but if you had to pick three teammates to be with you for whatever reason to survive, three teammates. who would it be? Um, I'd probably take Davis Webb. You know, I think he's a really smart guy. Him and Daniel Jones, you know, those two are just smart, so they know where to go, know what to do. Um, and then... I'd probably take I'd probably take Saquon too, just the dude. Okay. The dude's athletic, and you know he could he could 
help run away from zombies and stuff like that. <laughs> you know, if I really thought about it. But, yeah, just some smart guys that would know what to do in that, that situation. So the rookie tight end learns to bring his two quarterbacks, two of his three quarterbacks, <laughs> and then bring in a star running back. Why yeah, not, right? One of the most athletic guys I've ever met. So, well, definitely. listen, Daniel Bellinger, you were off to a great start for your career. I appreciate watching all your growth as a player. And uh, good luck on Sunday against Baltimore. Thank you. I appreciate it. All right, special thanks to Daniel Bellinger for joining me after practice. As we joked, Deontay Wilder, former heavyweight boxing champion, showed up at the end of practice. He's got a big fight in Brooklyn on Saturday night. And what a surprise. Bellinger picks Leonard Williams or Dexter Lawrence to have a chance to stand toe-to-toe with Wilder. I thought it was kind of funny how he said that he had no chance and most of the guys in the locker room realized they would have had no chance against Wilder no matter how tough they thought they were. Uh, so that was uh, an entertaining interview and I think we all knew from the spring that Bellinger was going to be a big part of this offense. They threw a lot at him. As he said, Brian Dable was tough on him, called him numb nuts at one point because he kept getting the plays wrong. And I think they tapped in to a position that they had gone first round trying to find a difference maker in Evan Ingram back in 2017. Taking Bellinger in the fourth round because of the traits he had and how they fit into this offense, I think was very important. Brian Dable, as I told Bellinger, mentioned earlier in the day how assistant general manager Brandon Brown and Tim McDonald, the director of player personnel, really pounded the table for Bellinger after doing a lot of work on him in the draft season. Uh, So I thought that was interesting. You got two heavy hitters behind the scenes appealing to Brian Dable and Joe Shane about Bellinger and where he fits and what kind of player he is. You know, let's not forget, not all great tight ends are selected in the first round. It's really the gems that are found at some point later in the draft. And George Kittle is somebody who Bellinger looks up to. He was selected in the fifth round. If someone said to you, where was George Kittle selected in the draft today? You'd say, oh, first round, top 15? Doesn't always work that way. The Giants are showing that they can develop players, and I think that's a a great thing for Shane and Dable and this system moving forward. All right, now it's time for the final drive. Your questions via Twitter. My answers. I try to get to as many as I can this week, and I promised that I would address this situation first, the idea of there are so many people who want to know why aren't the Giants putting Kenny Galladay and or Kadarius Toney on injured reserve. And I think you need to realize what's going on with injured reserve now. Number one, they have a maximum of how many players can be brought back. That's something different coming out of COVID. Uh, There is a max on how many guys can be designated for return. And when it comes to Galladay and Tony, their cap numbers do not change. They are the same. And the Giants are hovering right around $3.5 million in cap space. You never account for the replacement value, even if that replacement value is minimal. 
minimal with respect to the NFL. So if you put Galladay and Tony on the IR, they still count against your cap. And then you have to replace them. Or you're going to be sitting there with a roster that has 51, 50 players, and the NFL does not want that. And if you're a front office, if you're Joe Shane, you don't want to put out that picture that you are not able to afford a 53-man roster under the salary cap. Even though if you look between the lines, you see things and you realize this is why they're doing it. So I think it's a good job by this team in this front office to go week to week. They have two practice squad elevations every week and up to three elevations for every player on the practice squad. They're manipulating and kind of moving around the salary cap by doing that. When that player gets called up as an elevation, they only get one game's pay. It's not a full three weeks when they call up a guy to the active roster. So that's a big difference when it comes to it. So they are not going to put guys on the IR just to get a roster spot because the quality of player may not be the same. You're just paying for a replacement value player. And that's not something that Joe Shane is going to do. And I think that's a big difference where the Giants are versus where they were under the previous administration uh, with Dave Gettleman calling the shots in the front office. All right, let's get to your questions. I'm not even going to try to pronounce Nick's last name, but Rusty Nails 79 says, I believe Joe Shane and company made their decision on Daniel Jones with not picking up his option at the beginning of the year, regardless of how this team does this year. I fully believe he will not be back next year. Do you agree or disagree? I don't think you can make that statement, Nick. I appreciate the question, but it was a business decision to not pick up Daniel Jones's option. It made no sense to pick up his option. You looked at what happened to Sam Darnold down in Carolina, and look where Sam Darnold is now, not even playing. They picked up his fifth-year option. They made the smart decision to make this approved year for Daniel Jones. We're going to see. We're five games in, and Daniel Jones has not stunk the joint out, as everyone predicted. And he is no longer Danny Turnovers. Now, that could change against... Baltimore, but he's not turning the ball over. It's a product of this offense. It's a product of the maturation of Daniel Jones. It's the plays that they're calling. It's the running game with Saquon Barkley. I think there's a lot of things that go into the success that they've had at 4-1, and one, but I don't believe that decision is made. If you ask me today, is Daniel Jones back next year? I'd say probably not, but I can't tell you that the Giants all of a sudden are going to have to pay Daniel Jones $40 million a year. We're we're living on two extremes. The one extreme is that the Giants were going to be in the top five and they're going to draft a quarterback. Well, they're not there right now. Now, they could end up 4-13 and and we could be talking about a top 10 pick again. But I don't think they're heading in that direction. And number two... If Daniel Jones plays well this season, he has every reason to want to sign an extension here with the Giants. Why would he want to go elsewhere? 
it's not like another team is going to see what Daniel Jones is doing, see value in that, and say we're going to give Daniel Jones $35 million a year. So there's still a lot in play in terms of Jones's future. So I do not believe that they made the decision to not pick up his option because they were convinced that Daniel Jones would not be here in 2023. All right, next question is from Sean Archer. We got a couple questions about Darius Slayton. So let's talk Slayton here. It's very rare to see Slayton or see a receiver do what Slayton did against the Packers. He was essentially given up by everybody on this team. Now, they made the decision that they wanted to keep him. They forced him to take a little bit of a pay cut before the season because of that compensatory pay that he earned with all the snaps that he played his first three years. And the Giants don't win that game on Sunday without Darius Slayton, period. And his inconsistency has always been the worst part of his game, but he was not inconsistent on Sunday. And I think he earned a role moving forward. I mean, let's be honest. Look at this position. I know Sean wants to know, you know, when Robinson and Tony get healthy. I think Wondell Robinson comes back this week. Uh, but I don't believe Kadarius Tony will be back anytime soon. And I don't think Kenny Galladay will be back. So I think they will trust Slayton to have a role. The idea of being in the starting lineup, being a starter versus somebody who comes off the bench, I don't think that matters as much. Uh, I think Slayton will have an opportunity. We don't know the route tree that Wondell Robinson is going to run in this offense. And I think that's going to be interesting when he gets healthy enough to be out on the field. And like I said, I think that's Sunday against Baltimore. All right, we'll move on to Big Blue Brooklyn. Injuries have been a problem for years 22 is no different. Three torn ACLs in the draft class. Is there a constant underlying cause, strength and conditioning, curse of MetLife turf, just crap luck? Well, yeah, a combination of all of it. But injuries happen across the board. I mean, let's be honest. This is a rough game. Players are more trained right now. Their bodies are, are built to go to be stronger, faster, you know, Look at some of the runs that Saquon Barkley has over the last couple weeks. And there was one on the cut on the 41-yard catch and run from Daniel Jones against the Packers. Look at the torque that's on his legs, his knees, his quads. We know Saquads, his the thighs, the calves. If you look at the amount, uh, the, the tension that's in his lower body when he's running. The, like I said, the torque. A lot of these guys, their bodies just cannot handle it. They get pushed to a point, and then they give out. That's where the injuries are coming from. Yes, turf has a percentage higher than grass that if you play on turf, your body's going to take more of a beating. Not for anything. It was even worse back then. Do you remember what the turf used to be like in the old giant stadium? It was like concrete. So I know the injuries are there, and I do believe that they will continue to look at what they can improve, but you can't erase the injuries at 100% volume. You know, the Giants in this situation, they've had a lot of MCLs here. Leonard Williams, Wondell Robinson has had an MCL. Kenny Galladay is reported to have an MCL. 
Do you ever think that maybe what they're doing behind the scenes to help prevent the injuries prevented those MCLs from being worse? Maybe they would have been ACLs in the last couple of years. Maybe Leonard Williams would have had an ACL instead of an MCL, and he wouldn't be coming back this week against the Ravens. He'd be out for the season. So there's always the opposite side of things to watch and to consider. Yes, injuries are a problem. Yes, injuries have been a major problem for the Giants. Uh, but I do think they're working through trying to figure out how to get more lucky and how to prevent them and try to minimize the severity of those injuries by preventing and doing prehab work uh, and stuff like that. So, again, it's a good question. It's always going to happen. Uh, but I think that's where we're uh, that's where we're at with the injuries. All right, we got a double here. Uh, Brett Brooks wants to know about London and Vlado wants to know about London, about the atmosphere from London. What I'll say is that for three quarters, it was a home game for the Packers. The chance of go pack go the Giants getting booed coming out of the tunnel. This was a Packers home game. I'm sure it came through on TV, but by the fourth quarter, you know, and I made this joke on Twitter and someone followed up on it and took it even further. It was essentially like Rocky and Rocky four in Russia. And the idea of swinging the Soviet union to his favor, I think the Giants won over some of the crowd. I think there were a lot of people in the crowd who were for the Packers, who made the trip, the Packers playing overseas for the first time. I think there were Giants fans there. They were just outnumbered by the Packers. But I do think there were casual fans from London. I put up pictures of jerseys that fans were wearing that it was almost like a Pro Bowl setting rather than a home or an away game in the NFL. And ultimately, I think the Giants won won the crowd. I really do. I think that by the end of the game, there were a lot of stunned Packers fans, but I do think the reaction to the Giants winning that game uh, says a lot about this team and its likability and how they're playing and how they're winning games. I think people that appeals to the average fan. So I do think that the Giants have kind of taken advantage of some of the atmospheres that they've played in, and Sunday was certainly no exception. Uh, Forbidden wants to know about KT, Kadarius Tony, and his relationship with Dable's attitude. I think you have to go back to last week for Brian Dable and when he was asked about Richie James. And he talked about smart, tough, dependable, which is their go-to line, Shane and Dable. That's what they want their team built around, that premise. But also he said about Richie James, he's always there where, where you expect him to be. And that's me paraphrasing. Kadarius Tony has yet to show show that to this front office, really yet to show that in his career now, going one year and five games. So until he gets healthy and shows that he can be a responsible, uh, you know, dependable part of this offense, I think that's going to say all you need to know about what this team thinks about him. I don't think Kadarius is a bad guy. I really don't. I think he wants to be out there. I just think he has situations that he needs to take care of with his body, and he's been a little unlucky. And some of that luck, as we talked about the prevention of the injuries earlier, that needs to t- take place for him as well. So what does Brian Dable think of Kadarius Tony? I think he probably sees his skill set and says, boy, I'd love to have that as a compliment to everything else I've got. But right now, 
Kadarius Tony can't play. He's not healthy. So it's next man up in this league. Iconic Sports New York wants to know, with Saquon on the pace he is, what record do you think the Giants would need to have for him to be an MVP candidate? I think anywhere from 8 to 10 wins, and if they're in that wild card race, uh, I think Saquon will be talked about uh, not only for comeback player of the year, but I do think for uh, for MVP. I don't think a running back will win MVP in this league anymore. I don't think it can happen. Uh, even with the Derrick Henry run a couple years ago, uh, I think it's it's a quarterback-driven league, and the quarterback will win the MVP. But if the Giants keep winning a couple, couple games here and get into that mix, let's not forget, until they beat the Eagles or the Cowboys, they're th- still the third-best team in the NFC East. So you will have a guy like Jalen Hurts who is viewed as an MVP candidate, maybe even a Micah Parsons on Dallas viewed as an MVP candidate before you get to Saquon. Uh, Thrill Seeker also wanted to know about Darius Slayton. Hopefully I gave you that answer. Um, Let's see. Kevin Donahue wants to know about Thibodeau. This is interesting. If you think back, if you remember the Giants Life video of Thibodeau at the Combine, and when Dable and Wink Martindale and Joe Shane were sitting with Thibodeau in their formal interview, they asked Thibodeau how he'd handle not having a sack five games into his career. And even though it's five games for the Giants, it's only three for Thibodeau. So let's make sure we talk about that. But how has he handled himself as a professional? I think Thibodeau's been great. I watched a lot of the film back of the All-22 of the London game. He was involved in several huge plays. He made the sack by O'Shane Zimenez on the Hail Mary attempt of Aaron Rodgers happen by his initial rush. He beat David Bakhtiari with a great speed rush on the inside and forced Rodgers to spin out of the pocket when he didn't want to. On Dexter Lawrence's sack... Thibodeau was the one who looped up and around the pocket and beat his guy and forced Rodgers to step up right into Dexter Lawrence. Thibodeau had the knockdown on third down on the goal line stand that preceded Xavier McKinney's batted down pass. He had a huge rush. He knew exactly what passing lane he needed to be in in order to stop Rodgers there. And even though the ball looked like it was a little bit of luck, that it hit off his, his shoulder pad and his face mask, that's because Thibodeau was in the right spot. He knew the lane that Rodgers was going to try to throw in, uh, and he made that play. So he's been a pro. He's been getting better and better. I don't know if this is the week that the sacks come. This week he's got to protect the edge with Lamar Jackson. The, off, the outside linebackers this week, it's going to be huge to not lose contain against Lamar Jackson. Uh, that's a huge part of this week, so let's see how they play it. Wink Martindale, Drew Wilkins, the outside linebackers coach. Uh, Eggs, the inside linebackers coach. These guys were all with the Ravens. They know what Lamar's all about. So you need to be able to put together a plan and execute it. I think Thibodeau is going to get a lot more credit once he starts getting sacks, but he has played very well the last two weeks once he got his feet wet against the Cowboys. All right, this is the last one for this week, and I appreciate all of the questions. This is from Keeland. 
Does the fast start change Joe Shane's philosophy? Possible DJ Moore trade. Not only helps the team now, but gets Daniel, the next QB, a young, talented number one for the future. All right, here's what I feel about Joe Shane and his philosophy. I think they will relish the fact that they are 4-1. and one. I don't think they ever thought they'd be 4-1, and one, but I don't believe Joe Shane will change his philosophy. I think his priority number one is coming out of this season in good salary cap health. I think that matters to this team in building what they want to build as far as a foundation goes. If an opportunity shows and they could acquire a player who's a part of this foundation, I think they'll contemplate it. But I don't think you're going to see Joe Shane deal assets away in order to take a chance on players because this team suddenly is 4-1. and one. Like I said, look in the mirror. The Giants have had a bad history of refusing to look at themselves and judge themselves properly. These Giants are 4 and 1. They could easily be 2 and 3. They're not necessarily a Super Bowl contender right now. Are they a playoff contender? Well, they're playing their way into playoff contention. But like I said, you're still the third best team in the NFC East until proven otherwise. So I don't think that Joe Shane goes out and makes plays and gives up assets because, like I said, you still don't know where you're going to be at season's end. And what they did in Buffalo to trade down to get Josh Allen is they were able to deal off some veterans and get some assets and make those draft assets matter. So, no, I don't see a trade for DJ Moore. Could it happen? I guess. Uh, I just think they stay status quo and they do what they're doing. And if they have a glaring hole that's available, that, that can be plugged, and you're not sacrificing or compromising 2023 or beyond, I think they'll do it. But this team is in a situation where I don't believe that they are going to lose sight of what was at stake coming into this season, where they were, what past mistakes caused for this new regime. They are not going to move the goalposts, and I think that matters. And that's why Joe Shane is here as general manager. And if they change that and they start altering their course and it ends up hurting them down the line, I think ultimately they'll come back and it'll come back to bite them. So that'll wrap up this week. Appreciate everyone being all in as usual. Want to thank Daniel Bellinger. All of the questions in the final drive will be out there Sunday. Giants Ravens, can they get to five and one? I think this game is a little tougher, even tougher than than the Packers. So we'll see. Aaron Rodgers to Lamar Jackson. This defense is going to be tested, but it's got got to be fun. Got to be fun, Giants fans. Your season is usually over by now, and that's not an overstatement. So we'll stay all in, and we'll catch you after the game on Sunday. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.